All right, John chapter 2. This is low tech. I didn't give any slides, uh, any points up there, so you have to listen uh, this morning. I got a 15-minute uh, sermon. It's going to take me about an hour to preach it, but it's about 15 minutes. I'm just, okay. I'm on a roll. I'm getting all right. I'm, I'm done with the jokes, okay? I'm done with the jokes. Nothing else is funny. All right, John chapter 2, verses 18 uh, to 22, and I'll read this in your hearing. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are, fa are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. May we hear the word of God for us this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to hear what you have to say to us. And, and I'm convinced that you can take uh, prepared remarks, unprepared remarks, scattered ramblings, associations that come in the moment, and, and use it to speak to a hundred different needs. You have been working through prayers and scriptures and songs already today. You have been at work through our rehearsing of commitments and mission already today. And so we invite you to continue your work on us and for us and to us. Help us to hear the voice of Jesus today. I pray for the person who is here and who may be distracted by something terrible that has happened recently. By something in their personal life, by this crazy situation in our city and the many crazy situations in our city by, by something that happened over 
uh, the Thanksgiving table that shouldn't have happened. And I, I just pray for them that you would go about your work searching for the way that reaches them with grace and mercy and blessing. There may be somebody here who is, uh, is just doubting that, that you're up to date. Doubting your, your care. Not just your relevance, but your care. May that be for you a challenge to do what you gently and yet firmly and powerfully always do. Present Jesus Christ to us. May we be reached by your love. And I, I don't even know how much I'll use the word love over the next few moments, but uh, you use more than a sermon. pray for our pastors, for their families, that you bring them renewal and strength and favor and blessing. We ask these things along with the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Elena, hey, Elena, hey, I just want, I've been, uh, I know, I know, it's so random, so random. Uh, Jesus is presented with a question in this text. From time to time, this happens to him. He, he uh, is asked questions about eternal life. He's asked questions in the Gospels about his family and his mother and his brothers. He's asked for things, for healing. And every now and again, he will get really specifically pointed questions about theology, the practice of faith. And when he gets those questions, we always see him being artful, being kind of clever in <clears throat> telling a story, in addressing questions, but in taking questions that have been asked and turning us toward deeper realities, toward deeper answers that we haven't even quite considered. And, and I think that's happening uh, in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is asked about uh, what his disciples are doing. And he presents his listeners and us with choices. And today is the first Sunday in Advent. And uh, I, I want to set a, a suggestion before you that as we enter into Advent, we think about choices, that we think about options, and, and that we use the words of Jesus to, to move us into Advent. And, and the words that he uses in this chapter, uh, the second chapter of Mark, 
are uh, fasting. And I'll say, and this is sort of summary because he didn't use this word, but I'll say feasting. Say the word fasting. Come on, now we already warmed up your vocal cords. That's what the song was about. So say it again. Say fasting. Thank you. Say feasting. He's asked this question, and he begins to talk like he does in Matthew chapter 9, the companion passage to this text, about these two things. I want to talk about these two things, and then I want to sit down and uh, be done. So fast. Now, uh, and feasting. The, the, the first is that Jesus, Jesus really seems to open up both of these opportunities for the Christian life. He, he, he seems to allow, because he doesn't, he's going to talk a lot about the, the wedding and the feasting and this kind of thing. But he doesn't take away from fasting. He doesn't take away from either one of these practices. What he, what he seems to do is to enrich both of these, whether he's talking about the wedding celebration or whether he's talking about when to fast. He's seeming to give us room for both. So let's talk about fasting first. Now, how many of you are familiar with fasting? Raise your hand if you know what fasting is, if you've ever done it. Okay, most of you are aware of what it is. It's the deliberate abstaining from food. It's when you do not eat, essentially. That's what fasting is. Now, you can have other uh, ways of fasting, uh, but it's a practice in Scripture that has a lot of significance. It usually has to do with humbling oneself uh, before God. It's usually in Scripture talked about as a corporate practice. Uh, Fasts are associated with repentance, 1 Kings 21 has that kind of fast. 1 Samuel 31 and 13 uh, associates fasting with mourning and with grief. Sometimes fasts are proclaimed in anticipation of God's revelation or when God shows up, when God does something that is different, that is exceptional. That's Exodus 34, 1 Samuel 28. There are also times when fasts are called in the time of national crisis. And so when the people of Israel uh, had uh, an experience of crisis, the leaders would call for a fast. Sometimes in Acts, fasts were associated with preparation for worship so that people, before they come to church, and some of you grew up on you know, doing this, you would, before the day before church or something, you would fast, and, um, and the church in Acts would do that. They would fast uh, in preparation for worship. They would fast in order to have a kind of clarity in times of decision-making or when they needed God to, again, reveal something to them. They would fast. The church did this in the scriptures, and we also do this. We also fast. Now, you, unless you're under a rock, uh, you uh, can't go very far without hearing some of the same uh, reasons we would fast in our own life today, right? Be it national crisis, be it, uh, be it uh, municipal crisis, be it life at your job, be it life in our church, major decisions that are in front of us. There are a lot of reasons for us to mourn, a lot of reasons for us to pray, a lot of reasons for us to humble ourselves before God, to acknowledge the ways that we need God to reveal the Spirit of God to us. 
your job, our decisions, etc. We need to fast. And what fasting does, again, is it clears the way. It's a spiritual practice that really opens ourselves up uh, because we go without something in order to allow for God to give us new revelation or new insight or new help uh, as we face the pains of our world. Now, Jesus, as I said a moment ago, he knows how important fasting is. Uh, He knows that fasting is a part of the normal life of the Christian or of the disciple of Jesus or of uh, the people of God. Uh, Jesus does not undo the practice of fasting in this text. He doesn't doesn't, uh, uh, disagree with fasting. He just adds to it in this passage. And, and I want to spend uh, the most of my time left to talk about this, this other behavior, and then we'll talk at the end about both behaviors again. So there's fasting on the one hand in this text, and then the second is, what's the second word? Were you paying attention? What's the second word? Yes, you all were paying attention. You all were not. So um, I'll give you another chance because I'm a grace-filled person later on. Now, now, Jesus doesn't use the word face, feasting. I'm, I'm using feasting in some ways to try to capture uh, the spirit of what he's saying and to help us remember these two words. Um, but, but he talks about the wedding. He talks about the wedding feast. And the wedding in Jesus' time was a time of awakening. It was a time of arousal. It was an emergency of sorts, not a negative emergency. But when there were weddings, people did different things. Now, just about everybody here has been to a wedding, okay? Um, I can't tell a joke right now about this. But how many of you have ever been to a wedding? Just raise a hand. Your own, somebody else's. Exactly. Okay, very good. Uh, You've been in a wedding? Anybody been in a wedding? I used to have friends, and um, I told them all when they were in the season of getting married. Some of them have been married, and they decided not to be married anymore. And I'm not doing any more weddings for my friends. It's just expensive. There's no point, right? You know, because in a wedding, you have to pay hundreds of dollars to stand up with people and to, uh, I'm sorry, maybe I won't put it that way. Okay, so I get to officiate weddings, too. And I don't have to buy a suit for that, right? I just show up. But, but when I used to go to weddings for my friends, um, and when they would do this for me, when they did this for us, we'd get in the line and we'd have all of this new stuff that we would do, stuff out of the ordinary. And Jesus, in his time, had things that were new and out of the ordinary for people who would participate in weddings. Now, unlike us, when Jesus and his folks Uh, and his friends and his disciples and that audience got married, it would be a days-long celebration. They would start at the bride's house, and uh, they would have a party there for a couple of days, and there would be a lot of food and a lot of wine and a lot of dancing, and then they would have a parade from the bride's house to the groom's, and then they would do the same thing there, and they would have sometimes upwards of a week of wedding feasting and celebrating. Can you imagine wearing the same tuxedo for seven days? Yeah, me either, right? They would would parade in the streets, and Klein Snodgrass, who's a covenant uh, uh, 
uh, pastor and uh, New Testament scholar, talks about this wedding feast. And he says that in Jesus' time, it was a religious obligation that the people of God had a religious duty to participate in the parade. It's not even your wedding. You don't even know the people, right? It's like being down in New Orleans and you see a funeral procession and you just start walking along, you know, the jazz. It's kind of one of those. People are having a wedding. You come out of your house and you start meeting new people and celebrating because there is a wedding feast going on. There weren't observers in the wedding feast. Everybody was a kind of participant. This is what Jesus means when he uses this language of wedding feast in Mark chapter 2. Feasting was a time of celebrating. It was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of engagement with the bride, engagement with the groom. Uh, the wedding feast was, uh, was, was for everyone to do because the bride and the groom were in their presence. So if you're thinking about fasting in, uh, in, in, in opposition to feasting, uh, what you're hearing Jesus engage in in Mark chapter 2 is, is talking about himself as the bridegroom and why his disciples aren't behaving this way. He is offering us a suggestion ultimately to say there are certain ways you act in the presence of of Jesus. There are certain forms you take. There are certain gestures you offer. There are certain religious, if you will, obligations to being in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't undo fasting. He doesn't say that there is no time for this public expression of our need for God's help. He doesn't say we don't mourn as God's people or in our own lives. He doesn't say we don't mark out times when we need God to give us insight and clarity that will only come when we surrender our normal food routines or bodily needs. He doesn't undo that. What he does is he adds to that and he says in the company of the Holy One, there is still reason to rejoice. Celebrate. Act like you're at a wedding. The presence of Jesus implies a different use of ourselves and our times. With the nearness and the company of Jesus, he seems to say the disciples live differently. They choose, because of his presence, to do things differently. They, in a word, feast. They experience the joy and salvation in the coming, in the company, in the presence of Jesus. And he points the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who are supposed to be able to spot God, the people who are supposed to be sensitive to divine things, those people who cannot recognize the company of God among them. He points them to this truth. I'm in front of you. You're distracted by what you normally do, by what you usually do, by what you're used to, and I'm right here. The embodiment of joy. Oh, you should mourn. 
but I'm right here. Oh, you shouldn't have an appetite given how life looks. That's understandable. I don't want to take away from that. But are you aware of whose company you keep? Jesus talks of cloth and wine. Plain things in his time. People wore cloth. People drank wine. And uh, we do that, right, today. People, I'm glad you got dressed to come to church this morning because it would have been just different for me to try to preach if you weren't in cloth. Jesus used these two sort of um, understandable words, cloth, wine, old cloth, new cloth, because he knows that his audience gets that they're just some things you do, right? I mean, you don't take an old garment, put a new patch on an old garment. You just don't, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because you know, if you wash the new garment with this old patch, the new cloth has to start to stretch and agitate. The old garment has already done that already, so rips are going to happen, tears are going to happen. Right? There's some things you don't do, and his audience understood that. I read this passage. I thought about the fact that uh, when, I was, when I grew up, my mother, who claims to love me, uh, would, uh, <laughs> would see uh, a hole in my jeans at the knee. And she would say, bring me those jeans. And bring me those jeans was not a good thing because, you know, most children whose parents really love them, I thought, would say, bring me those jeans. I'm going to replace them because, you know, you're talking right here at the knee. Is what you, you get a hole. You know, you move, you talk. You're, no? Okay, fine. <laughs> so my mother, my mother who claims to love me, would take a patch, like a blue patch, and just sew it right over the hole at the knee. And uh, because that's what you did. You didn't go buy new jeans. You just patched up the old jeans. Just one thing that just naturally occurs to her. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, that makes sense. It like occurs to me. Yeah, you're kind of in the category of my mother. You think, you know, uh, that this makes sense. Right? Uh, and for my mom, it did. And for me, uh, it, it didn't. And Jesus is saying to his audience, there's some things that just make sense to you about old cloth, new cloth, wine, wine skin. And he's not so much going to the elements uh, of wine and cloth as much as he's saying, this is really easy uh, for you to get. This this. These bodily words, these physical words, you already know. And so let me use what you already know to point to something that is equally obvious and that is equally accessible for you to get. My presence. My presence. He knows that his disciples, they get what it means to fast, what it means to feast. And what he's getting to with these religious leaders, these folks who are asking him this question, 
is he saying, um, <clears throat> there are some people in my people, in my group, in my community, in my discipling community, who know the great joy of the presence and company of Jesus, while at the same time, sometimes wondering if God is around. My people know both of these experiences. And he's offering to these Pharisees and these other leaders, these disciples of John, these same two options. Do you know both of these? But he's also offering them another option, and that is himself. You can know mourning and fasting. You can know the wedding celebration and the obligation of engaging in joy. And then you can know my presence. Here is Jesus, the unmistakable and yet overlooked presence of God in the flesh and somehow avoided by these questioners. And, and, and here's the thing. These questioners are, are not just... Um, the religious professionals. They're not, just, they're not just like me. Like, I get paid to have a faith. You know, I'm a pastor. Uh, I get paid to look at the Word of God. These, and you would think that the Pharisees are kind of like the religious professionals of the day. They're the leaders. They're the scribes. They're the, um, and it's not that Jesus is trying to say, it's just for people who are supposed to be religious who I'm talking. He's actually, I think, trying to level the field to say, well, I'm talking to all of you all. Because my disciples who already get this because they're not fasting, and you who are asking me these questions who don't get this, I'm talking to all of you and everyone in between about the groom and his company and his ordinariness in your presence. So finally, questions for us. I have, I have six. They're quick. The first one. Are there times of fasting and feasting in our corporate life? So if the two words in this text are fasting and feasting, are there times of both in our corporate life, in our so-called calendar, in our, in our, in our things to do, do we see both? Do we see mourning and joy? Do we see in the liturgy, whatever, whatever form it takes, in the work of God's people at New Community, room for both? So if you're a ministry leader here, if you are a, a small group leader here, if you're a leadership team member here, if you're a staff person here, uh, if you are a committed attender, if this is your home church, as we look toward the next year and as we think about the vision for 2016 and as we leave this building and go to the other building around the corner, can you be thinking about how we see both these things in our life together? Number two. Do you participate in the ups and downs of our community life? Do you participate in the ups and downs of our life together? This, this is different from the first question. The first question is, does our church have room to celebrate baby dedications this week while last week suffering the loss of one of our leaders? That's, is this happening in the church? The second question is, are you participating in it? 
The second is more personal. The second is about you and whether you are in it. Because, see, the church can do things and you not do them. The church can offer opportunities that you're not engaged in. You can tell yourself that somebody else will do. Oh, there are 100 people in this room. There are 150 people here. There are 200 people here. There are 300 people here. Somebody else will surely support the children at the bake sale. Somebody else will surely show up at the prayer vigil. Somebody else will surely be on the hospitality team next week. Somebody else will surely take up the good news and live it out at their job. I don't. Do you participate? The third question this morning is, what helps us notice the presence of Jesus? Um, and this is one of these questions that uh, I'd invite you to think through over the week and to sit with over the week. As you think about how God comes to you, as you think about how the voice of Jesus comes to your ears, what helps you notice the presence of Jesus? What helps us as a church notice the nearness of Jesus? Like the Pharisees, we can ignore him, we can dismiss Jesus, but, but, but we have to pull ourselves close if we're responding to the words of Christ. We have to pull ourselves close to the things which help us hear the Savior. To pull ourselves close to the people who help us spot the Savior. To pull ourselves close to the company of those who will help us obey the Savior. This is, this is how Christianity, which is impossible, becomes easier when there are people around you who say, yeah, it's impossible. Let's do it together. Are there people in your company? Are there people in your company? Even if you're not a religious person here this morning and you only came because you got bribed to come and see the baby being dedicated, right? Even if you're here, you want to be a person who, who learns how to be better. So the question for you is, are there people in your company, are there people in your life who help you notice how to be better? Are there people who help you notice how to be stronger? In the text, it's the presence of Jesus. For the Christian community, that is identified with the bridegroom who is the Redeemer and Savior, Jesus. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Number four. How do we celebrate, feast, play? Um, I, I will confess, I don't think preaching is a time for confession. Uh, but I will, I will offer you a confession. Uh, it's not a serious one. I save those for people who, you know, I save them for. Um, but the confession I will give you this morning is that I don't, I don't play. I tell my son, I, I look at him, I say, look at me. Do I play? And he does what you just did because he thinks I'm joking, right? And in a sense, I'm kind of joking, but in a sense, I never tell a joke. That isn't also true. And so for me, um, you know, I mean, 
a lot of the time in spiritual direction and conversation. It's like, okay, play. What is this? What is this? I'm having like a boy when Bryce was coming and Lord have mercy because there's another one coming and I've gotten a little bit better, but I still don't, I still don't play. I don't do what Dan just gets internally. Dan Rodakovich just knows how to celebrate. Dan is a teacher of what Jesus is talking about. Dan comes into a room and you think wedding feast. And I, I, don't, I mean that wonderfully. I do. Because Dan is a mentor to me. And he has to be. Because I come into a room and I'm like, fast. <laughs> I don't know why y'all laughing so much about that. But again, you can laugh because it's me. You can laugh because it's me. Right? Some of us are really close to one discipline, and we look at the other and we say, not me, no, I'm, my, my part is to do this. Some of us are so in the extreme that we cannot imagine doing what Jesus is saying, and that is hold both together, and I'm in the center of it. How do we fast how do we feast? Now, now the, the question that I raise is how do we play, how do we celebrate, how do we feast? But we can equally raise the other question too. Some of you naturally get one, and you need to be the leader, the teacher, the mentor for those of us who don't get that one. The other of us will be the opposite teacher. And in the community of the saints, in the community of the faith, we do this together. And then there is this other option. There are those two. And then there is Jesus saying, be invited. Do something unusual. And meet me in the midst of both. Two more questions and I'm done. Carlton, you can come up so they believe that I'm almost done. Where are we right now with these two choices? Honestly, we move between sorrow and uplift. We move. We don't usually stay in one direction. Even those of us who are naturally inclined or built or made in a certain direction, we swing because life and company and people we care about and love makes us happy. Even when we feel like, what in the world is that to be pleased? But there are people, there are babies that come on a stage and there are families that come and bless and pray. And you've seen it today. Even coming in church, however you felt, when you heard God's people praying, you just, something moved in you. We move between these two. But we usually, we usually need moments where we ask ourselves, when I'm not in that company, where am I? Where am I today? Where am I as I think about writing out my prayer request? Where am I when I leave church and I'm not in the community of God's people? What is, what is the choice in, in front of me? Jesus wants you to know that wherever you are, you are not alone. And here's the final question. Who is Jesus offering himself to be to you? I, I grew up 
And every time a Pharisee or a Sadducee was talked about in Scripture, it was in a bad way because the Pharisees are the bad people. The Sadducees are the bad people. The disciples are the good people. And the older I get, the more complicated it gets because there's no such thing. When you think about Jesus talking to the scribes, he's saying the same thing he says to his disciples. He's not discriminating. He's not saying, I'm only here for the people who love and who aren't, uh, uh, who aren't religious, who don't have liturgy, who don't have form in their life. No, Jesus, he is a Jew. He lives in the midst of that religious expression and that formal expression. He is a Jew, but he says, don't get caught up into whatever your extreme is. Get caught up into me. So for those of us who look and say, yep, them Pharisees, he's talking to you. Them old scribes, get them, Jesus. He's talking to your crazy self. He's talking to you and me and all of us because people who are naturally moving between and and by God's help and grace, moving between the hardship of fasting and the wonder of feasting, people who are doing both, they don't make, make records about it. We don't put postings about it when we get this movement right. No, no, no. It's only the ones who are in the extreme who say something about it. The rest of us are quietly saying, God, you better help me do this. I haven't quite got it yet. So who is this Jesus to you? Who is he presenting himself to be? The one who is masterful at revealing himself. Who is he showing up to be to you? Bow your heads. Emily invited us, Emily invited us earlier to think about what God has done in this space. And I want to give you that question back and a little bit of time of quiet just to hold that question. And and to think, who has Jesus been to me so far in this space? And who does Jesus want to be to me right now? Those are the questions. So hold those on your hands and your lap and quiet before God for a moment. And then we'll further respond in worship. sing together so that I don't come up in the song. I'll pray for offering as well. Uh, 
worship uh, company come back on up. Lord Jesus, you have absolutely no problem making yourself known. You do that perfectly. So I ask that you would present yourself to us. Communicate yourself to us so that wherever we are, we see, hear, sense you. Be unmistakable in our company, in our eyes. And also, God, I pray um, that as we give tithes and offerings this morning, that those gifts would be responses out of gratitude for what you've already done and in expectation for what you have yet to do. Anchor us in the truth that every need we ever have is met by you. Thank you for listening to us when we pray.